Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. Ah, glad to see you here today. Um, <clears throat> Alex, give me a thumbs up when you're ready with that and a thumbs down. Okay, so not there yet. Um, I want to I wanna first uh, acknowledge um, all the men who were here yesterday who helped with our work day. Could you guys stand up? We want to thank you for your, if you can stand up. Yeah, I hear you. We had, we had a good group of guys. We had men's breakfast yesterday morning, and then uh, Carl fed us real well, and he pumped us with the word, and then said, now get to work. So uh, he had a whole bunch of things that we, uh, we knocked out, a few tasks, and so I just want to thank you guys for your hard work, and uh, a bunch of Jason back here, thank God for tall men who got up in amongst the trees with his chainsaw and cut a bunch of limbs away from the buildings and we built a fence back here around the basketball court, a pallet fence, and uh, Lynn sprayed uh, our fence here, power washed it, and we're going to be finishing that up the rest of this week. And, and uh, anyway, just got a lot of things done, had a lot of good fellowship and camaraderie, so I just want to thank you guys very much. And so uh, Chase Lemons and I exchange, uh, you know, our head usher, Chase, we, we, we exchange texts from time to time, pictures and, you know, little memes and stuff. And so he sent me this one today, and I thought... I would share this with all of you. <laughs> That's pretty great, huh? Yeah, you don't want to see Mad Dog looking back at you if, <laughs> if you're that guy. No doubt about it. It's good to be an American, isn't it? Amen. <laughs> Praise God. So uh, this, is a, this is the day the Lord has made. And I will rejoice and be glad in it. Am I in the right church? Huh? I love what David said when it comes to the house of God. He said, when I go to the, to the house of God, I go with the festive throng. And I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I will praise him both now and forevermore. Come on, can anybody offer up some praise? Can we just bless the Lord? I know you've been you saying and stuff, but let's just thank him again for his goodness his kindness, his grace toward us, something about that heart. When our hearts get filled with praise, we get the right perspective on life. There's something about it when we exalt our God and we magnify him, when God becomes the largest thing in our scope, largest thing in our focus and our perception, largest thing in our hearts, all of a sudden the things of this world and the troubles that we may be facing, they, all, they just don't seem all that daunting anymore. Because we understand then what the, the scriptural kind of context and, and its, its view and its outlook and its truth, and that is greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. And when the greater one's living on the inside of you, and when you know that when God is for you, it doesn't matter who's against you. The scripture says, who can be against us? Well, yeah, that's really what it's saying. Who cares who's against you? And I, I am just blessed to be on uh, the winning side. Hmm? You need to remember that. God's on your side. Come on, turn to somebody and just tell them those simple, powerful words. God is on your side today. He's on your side. You're not fighting him. He's not fighting. He's on your side. You got plenty of stuff out here that's fighting you, right? The world, the flesh, the devil. None of those, none of those are in any competition for the God who's on your side. Amen. None of them. Amen. 
because he has given us the victory through Jesus Christ, who ensured victory forever for us. Thank the Lord. Amen. We're going to finish this series that we started a few weeks ago. We had a few interruptions along the way to finish it out, you know, stuff like the prophetic conference, the Living Lord's Supper production, Easter. And so we're going to finish this up. The last two commandments in this series called the Ten Commandments of Ignorance, where we've been looking through the scriptures. Um, right, the last few times we've looked through Paul's writings and found places in the scripture where it says, do not be ignorant of this. Of, do, not, do not be ignorant of that. And uh, so <clears throat> I'm, I'm just going to, as a matter of fact, let me just give you um, the things that we did cover. I'll just tell you, do not be ignorant of the necessity of believers being together in regular fellowship. Do not be ignorant of God's righteousness, God's righteousness, and how to receive it. Do not be ignorant of the mandate for holy living. How many of you know that there is a mandate for us as believers? Now, we don't strive to live holy. We just act naturally holy. Ah, Hallelujah. We just act according to our nature. It's not something we're trying to do. It's the fruit that comes from our righteousness. Amen. Do not be ignorant of the fact that God does not bring you trouble. Amen. Amen. No, he's on your side. Jesus said, in the world you have trouble, but in me you have peace. Amen. Do not be ignorant of God's blessing on the nation of Israel to this day. And we talked about that. And uh, do not be ignorant of Satan's devices. He has devices, but Paul taught us how those devices, we got them figured out. The thoughts, contradictions, and imaginations is how he works, all right? And if you keep your thoughts right, you'll give him no entrance whatsoever. No strongholds can be built up in your mind, and you can stay free, amen, because the the devil can't just destroy whoever he wants. He roams about seeking whom he may devour. He has to have permission, all right? And so you don't give him any room, then he, he he can't do anything. Now, he can hinder you, but he can't stop you. Thank God for that. Don't be ignorant of the gifts of the Spirit. And we talked about uh, the gifts of the Spirit and how they work in the church today and what we identify what those gifts are in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, do not be ignorant of the resurrection and the rapture of the church. You remember that one? We talked about if Christ is not risen, then we don't rise. There's a reason Jesus rose from the dead, assuring that you will rise too. The very fact that he is risen absolutely means that you will rise. Because that was the purpose to his resurrection. So that you can rise to newness of life, rise out of death once and for all, because he has destroyed. Amen. He that will be the final enemy that he will destroy. And then we the the number eight one, or was that number eight? Maybe that was number eight. So nine and ten today, we'll be talking about this one, this first truth. Do not be ignorant of a young creation. Do not be ignorant of a young creation. Now, we're going to look at 2 Peter chapter 3, and beginning in verse 1, it says, Beloved, I now write to you the second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming. For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget. The King James Version says they willfully are ignorant of. All right? 
that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water. Do you see what happens here? Let's go back to verse 5 for just a moment. It says, by the word of God, this is how the heavens became and this is how the earth, talked about the, the earth standing out of the water. All right? Had all that happened? It all had a beginning and the beginning was in the word. The word of God created these things. Okay? Next, verse 6 by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. So we understand now that through what the Apostle Peter kind of summarizes what happened, that God was in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and so all of this was, was made through him. Also, there was this flood that took place, and that flood brought cataclysmic disaster on the earth. Only eight souls were saved, according to Hebrews chapter 11, where Noah, his wife, and their sons, and their sons' wives, were, and, and two of every kind of animal were rescued. Everything else was completely destroyed when it came to the earth. And when the, water, the earth became all water, all kinds of shifting and land and, and, and the, the world itself, the terra firma moved around, and all kinds of things happened in just months, what modern scientific calculation says took billions of years. Now, there is admission by some of these who will be honest from time to time that say that the only way that these kinds of formations could have taken place, these rock formations, had to have been through some kind of global cataclysmic event or through the process of billions of years. Well, at least they'll admit that, but they still deny the flood because if they adhere to the flood, then they have to believe what the Bible says, and then, you know, that just opens up a new can of worms for all these jokesters. So, jokers, I should say. And so they have to draw the line somewhere if they're going to adhere to man-made ideals. When I was growing up, it used to be called the theory of evolution, but now it's taught as, as fact. And this is really a fairly new concept, really. It didn't start until the late 1700s when men started to put these crazy ideas of dates when it comes to the age of the earth and our universe. And the first one that stepped out there was a man who said it was 70,000 years old, and then it moved to 100,000, then it moved to several hundred thousand, to millions, to now 1956 was the, the latest authority at 4.5 billion years old. All of those are fairly new concepts. You read through the annals of history, those who recorded the dates of the earth, all of them were within anywhere from five to 10,000 years old from countries, not just, uh, I mean, from, from nations all over the world. Egypt, India, some of those had calculated that. I mean, many of them believed that it was just thousands of years old. So this is all relatively a new concept through faulted dating. Matter of fact, in 1986, you remember when Mount St. Helens erupted? That, that rock formation that took place through their dating, through their radio, what was it called? Radio mass, mm, somebody help me here. Radio carbon dating, thank you. Uh, there's another name to it, but I'll go with you on that one, okay? Uh, the radio carbon dating, they they dated that material, which had just happened. We know the age of it at 1.6 million years old. So it can't even be accurate with what we know the age of something is. How can we trust with what we don't know? And so it's just erroneous. So we have to look to the more sure thing, the scriptures that teach us. The, the scriptures that teach us. Now, the Bible's not here. Let, let me just say this. The book of Genesis and these things are not recorded so that you can know the date of the earth. 
They're written so that you can know that it is a fact that God created the heavens and the earth. But we can surmise through looking through the different genealogies. You can read these in Genesis chapter 5, Genesis chapter 11, Chronicles, Numbers. You can look also over in the New Testament and a couple of the Gospels, the genealogies of Christ, uh, Matthew and Luke's account. And you can find out, and just by looking at the different generations that are listed from Adam all the way to Jesus, that it spans somewhere around 6,000 years. And Adam wasn't created thousands of years after the earth was here, or even millions of years. He was created on the sixth day of creation. Is it okay if we just do a little bit of Bible study on that for just a moment? Let's go to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Anybody believe that here today? Okay, I'm, I was hoping I was in good company since we are in church. All right, now day one, <clears throat> day one begins, and it says that God said, let there be light. There was a spirit of God was hovering over the waters, and it says, and God spoke and said, let there be light. And when light came, then the scripture says that God took light and darkness, and he separated the two, and he called the light day, and he called the darkness night. This is the first day. That's what God accomplished in the first day, all right, where the evening and the morning that was the first day. The second day, then God um, said, now let the waters be separate from other waters. And we're going to put a sky or a firmament between the waters. There'll be waters above the sky. There will be waters below the sky. And so those things were done, and God called that spance heaven, what we know as the, as the sky. So at one time, there was water above the sky as we know it. Because God had set up the earth in such a way that man would never die. But he sinned, and that's where death came in. Man was created to never die. So it was kind of a biodome effect. That's how the whole world was flooded when that thing, the canopy of water, was punctured. Some believe it was Halley's Comet that actually punctured it and brought all that water down on the earth, which caused the, the full flood. Uh, day three, <clears throat> so day, day one, light and darkness separated. Day two, the waters separate from the waters with the sky in between. Now, we get to day three, and God causes the waters to be gathered together in one place, and he calls for dry land to appear. And the scripture says he called that dry land earth, and he called the waters the seas. And then he also created the grass and the herbs of the field and the fruit trees that bear fruit, all of them that have the seed that will produce after its own kind. All that happened on day three, or the evening and the morning, the third day. Interesting. What hasn't shown up yet? Hmm? The sun, the moon, the stars. And yet days are happening. The evening and the morning. It's the first day. We have the second day, the third day. Day four, God creates the sun, the moon, the stars to bring light upon the earth. And, he then, and then he says he did that for to measure signs, seasons, days, and years. So that then give us something, a reference to measure time. So God put all that in place. <clears throat> Day five. Now God starts having some fun. And he starts making up all these creatures. You know, they're still finding new and interesting creatures in the depths of the seas. Funky looking stuff. And created all this, the, 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 the creatures of the sea, and they were teeming with life, and he also created the birds of the air. 
This is day five. Day six, he creates animals that roam the earth, the cattle, every creeping thing. And he blessed them. He said, be fruitful and multiply. Bless the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. He said, be fruitful and multiply. And then he saved the best for last. He said, now let us make man in our image after our likeness. And when he created Adam and Eve, he blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion. You have dominion over everything. All that I created is for you. All these trees and these things are there for your eating. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. Everything yeah. that God created, he created for you. You were not created for it. It yeah. was created for you. Yeah. I'm going to say that one more time. Because sometimes we get caught up thinking that we're created for the world rather than the world's created for us. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. All right. We don't worship this planet. We dominate this planet. We have yeah. dominion. That's what we're called to do, to be like him. Amen. Well, I could have had a better amen, but I'm going to keep moving forward. <laughs> then Genesis chapter 2 opens up. Let's read this in verse 1. Genesis chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished in how many days? Six days. Verse 2, and on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Verse 3, then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work, which God, uh, which God had created and made. Now, <clears throat> there are some theories that this time, this span of time between Genesis uh, 1 and, and, and 2, in those days... Um, people have brought out the scripture that we're going to read here in a little bit, a little later on in this passage of scripture. Peter said, well, yeah, but one day to the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. So when the Bible says one day, it could mean that it took God 6,000 years to produce what he produced. Okay, let's say you're right. Let's say you're right. And, and it's still, still, we're talking about only 12,000 years old. Still several thousand years. But I don't believe it was... I believe these were literal days um, because of Exodus chapter 20, where a parallel is drawn between what God did there and what he expected out of the children of Israel to do concerning a day called the Sabbath day. Let's look at Exodus chapter 20. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Uh, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. Verse 11, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. It has to be a literal thing if he's going to compare it to this literal commandment. All right? Just like God worked six days, you're going to work six days. Just like God rested on the seventh day, you're going to rest on the seventh day. Yeah. All right? Is this too simple? Am I just being too simple here? Amen. All right? Um, let's look at some other scriptures here on creation itself. Everybody okay? Yeah. Look at yeah. Psalms chapter 102, verse 25. This is what David said. Of old, you laid, the found you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. That's good. Isaiah 40, 21. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? So when they talk about the foundations in the beginning, they're also talking about man being there. 
That's good. Mark chapter 10, Jesus makes it very clear, verse 6. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. From the beginning. Not thousands and billions of years later did we somehow swim out of this and morph out of this primordial ooze. But we were there in the beginning. Male and female. Romans chapter 1. Verse 20, Paul says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things which that are made, or things that are made, even his eternal power and God has sold that they are without excuse. You see that since the beginning. We are since the beginning. And when you read about the history of men on the earth, we can surmise that it's just several thousand years and not the outlandish billions of years. So, based upon what the scriptures taught, and I don't have time to get into all the, the details of all of this. I'm just going to give you kind of a, an overview, a quick snapshot into this. And sometime maybe we'll do a study on this together. But there's clearly room for discussion and debate, and there's a lot of debate over this subject and has been through the years. But I am no expert on the subject. I don't claim to be an expert on the subject. I just claim to be someone who believes the Bible and teaches it. All right? That's where I stand. And here's what I do know. According to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3, it says this, For by faith we understand. Say that with me. By faith we understand. See that? By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Something about faith that brings you into a new understanding. Yes. You can't yeah. know the things of God. You can't come to know them here. You have to first know them here. You believe, and then a new revelation comes to you. God kind of knowledge gets deposited into you. Think about the things that you believe today that maybe at one other time you would have thought were crazy. If you tried to reason them out, communion, you're going to eat Jesus' flesh, and you're going to drink yeah. his blood. I mean, if you just try to reason that out with your carnal mind, that ain't going to make any sense. But you believe it, and so now you have knowledge of what it means. Water baptism, same thing. Really? This guy's going to, he's putting people underwater. He's dunked, the pastor has dunking people. Everybody's okay with that? That doesn't, you can't reason that kind of thing out. But when you have faith, you have an understanding. A revelation is opened up to you. A lot of things that we believe, we believe that a virgin had a baby. Can you reason that? No, you have to believe that. But with that comes knowledge, the knowledge of God. You get understanding. And so by faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by God. Now, we don't know all the science behind it, and the Bible's not here to prove the science behind it. It's just telling you things as it is. It's not out here arguing, making a stance. No, don't listen to the evolutionist. It's not, that's not, it just says it out as it is. And there's invitation for you to believe it. Over and over again, the Bible continually, through honest science, continues to get proven to be true. Over and over again. But men continue to suppress that truth and unrighteousness. I, I read this quote in the early service, and I, I just want to read this, because I thought this was well said by a, an Old Testament scholar by the name of Ronald Youngblood. And he sums it up like this. He says, No one knows for certain, of course, when the beginning was. 
But the Old Testament is far more interested in the fact of creation than the time of creation. And the simple truth that God's creative activity took place during an indeterminate time known as the beginning was joyfully celebrated by poet and prophet alike. So don't be ignorant of this, that God created the worlds and we haven't been around all that long. And there is a time coming when he's going to be done with the world as it is. And Peter later on said that, that they, these who have said, well, since you know, the flood came and all that, things have just remained as they are. And Peter said, hang on, the world is still preserved by that very same word, the world that came after the flood, but it's preserved for a day that's coming, a day of judgment that's coming. Okay, so now let's look at verse 8 of that same chapter. And I want to give you this last truth, this last commandment of, uh, to not be ignorant of, and that is do not be ignorant of God's timetable. Do not be ignorant of God's timetable. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing. Again, the King James says, do not be ignorant of this one thing. That with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. I love that. As some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Peter is not giving us a math formula for how God sees days and years. He's not being literal in that way. He's not saying one day equals 1,000 years with God and 1,000 years equals one day with God. That's not what he's saying. He's teaching us something about how God sees his promise, how God works with his word. Because the very next thing it says, God is not slack concerning his promise. Let me just give you some good news today. God says it, and it's still just as true a thousand years later from the day he said it. It's still just as true a thousand years later. It's still just as new and as true. A thousand years can go by, still just as new and true. That's all he's saying about God's promise. Are you hearing? A day is as a thousand years, a thousand years. In other words, once God has said it, it's a settled issue. Whether it takes one day to accomplish it or a thousand years to see it manifest, it's still the truth. He's not slack concerning his promise. Sometimes we put his promises and what God says in the way that we think, the way that we see life. I was telling the earlier service, when I got up this morning, I'm 45 years old. When I got up this morning as a 45-year-old man after the workday we had yesterday, I felt that workday this morning when I got up. It was rolling out of bed, not just popping up out of it. It was... Ugh. 25 years old, wouldn't have bothered me one bit. Something has happened. Life has happened. Time has gone by. And feeling the effects of aging begin to take place. I mean, I don't... Some things I just don't like about it. Some things I do like about it because I think that, you know... You get smarter because you get more experience, you know? And then you find out the more that you, longer you live, the, the, the less common common sense is in our society. But, I mean, I still got a lot of growing up to do. I understand that. I certainly haven't arrived. But I'm to the place now where I have been accused of no longer being my father's son, now I've been accused of being his brother. 
Because this stuff started showing up. This gray started peeking out. Of course, my dad's loving it. I mean, he's living a whole new experience now. Yeah, yeah. And people ask we're brothers. He just, he just loves that. Well, we are only, we're a little less than 17 years apart, so we are kind of like brothers in that way. But, so I'm feeling the effects of this. Because, you know, you're living in this body and you see the changes and you realize something that as time goes by, your body and its strength are waning. Hmm? It's the reality of living in this body. It's not glorified yet. It will be glorified, praise God, someday. But, you know, we do all, as much as we can to try to look as youthful as possible. I mean, you've seen some people, right? They just go crazy with the surgery. You're like, whoa, who are you? Is that you? Trying to delay aging as much as possible. Because we love youth. We love the way it makes us feel. We love the way it makes us look. But as gravity and time take its toll, we see another reality. And we're tempted. Let me tell you something. You're going to be tempted when God makes a promise when He speaks His Word to look at His promise in His Word through that lens of only thinking in time as you know it. And so when you don't see the results of his promise that you've claimed for your own life, for your own situation, and time keeps on slipping, slipping, slipping <laughs> into the future. <laughs> All right, it just keeps on, keeps on, keeps on. And the sickness is still there. The pain is still there. The strained relationship is still there. The lack is still there. And it seems to just be glaring at you more and more. And you keep saying what God has said, but you're not seeing the results. And then sometimes, somewhere along the way, the enemy begins to whisper to you and tell you that that's no longer real. Apparently, that wasn't the will of God for your life, or he would have come through, or this would have already happened, or if you would have had more faith, then this would have happened, or if this would have happened, these things would have lied, then, 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 see, the games just get played over and over again, and the lies, and, and just the own personal experience. You don't see the circumstantial evidence of that word, and it can become tiresome in the process of waiting to see the promise manifested. But you can't think it in terms of time because one day is as a thousand. That means it's always new and it's always true. God's completely convinced of his word. He's completely convinced of his promise. He's not intimidated by the process of time. And so he's inviting you to remember this in this passage of Scripture. Don't yeah. be ignorant about this truth. God's not slack about His promise. It's not waning because time keeps on going. It is not yeah. measured in that way. It doesn't have any effect on the Word of God. The Word of God is an eternal thing. Now, the Word of God, when it's brought down into time, can seem like an eternity yeah. before you see it. But let me remind you today, we're going to look at one last verse of Scripture. It's Matthew chapter 8 and verse 16. I want you all to look at this. This is, this is a powerful thing, but it helps us really get the right kind of perspective on God's Word and, it's, and it working. When evening had come, they brought to Him, this is to Jesus, many who were demon-possessed, and He cast out the spirits with the Word and healed all who were sick. This is a good meeting, isn't it? All right, Peter just shows up. This 
Prior to this, he comes to Capernaum to Peter's mother-in-law's house. You remember the play when Peter said, rem- remembered that God had healed his, Jesus healed his mother-in-law, and he still said, I still haven't forgiven him for that. But um, he heals Peter's mother-in-law, rebukes this fever. She gets healed. She gets so healed that she gets up and cooks some dinner. That's good stuff. Got the feeling so good. You guys sit down. I'm going to fix a meal. Well, news gets out to everyone that they're there, that Jesus is there. And so people, wherever Jesus is, wherever they find that he is, I mean, people, the crowds come to him. And sure enough, a bunch of people that are broken, that are possessed, that are sick, come there. And Jesus takes time and ministers to all of them and sets the captives free and heals the sick. Isn't that wonderful? All right, this is right in the middle of his ministry. This is Matthew chapter 8, all right? Look at this. The next verse says, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, now this is out of Isaiah chapter 53, he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Now, if we're looking at this in time, there's a problem here. Is that really when that scripture was fulfilled? Where he himself took our infirmities and bore our sickness? Is that really where that was fulfilled? No, you got to go further along in Jesus' life. At a place called the Roman Scourge, where he bore stripes upon his back for our healing. And at that cross, where he was crucified and bled and became a curse for us and eradicated sins from the world. Took away the sins of the world. How did he say that it might be fulfilled Isaiah that night when Jesus hadn't actually done it yet. How can he say that it was fulfilled when it wasn't fulfilled? Except that this writer has an understanding now of the Word of God and how it works. Because the moment God said it is the moment it was true. The moment it was real. It was an eternal word, a settled issue. So when Jesus came in time and begin to walk out what had been prophesied, he could then heal people before he actually physically paid for it because according to the word, he already had done it. Wow. So he's all acting like he's already paid for it when he hasn't really paid for it. But it has been promised. And if it's been promised, then it's good anytime. And God's not slack concerning his promise. Praise God. So Jesus starts handing out benefits of the covenant that have not been cut yet in his body. Because he's convinced that the word is eternal. And this this helps us all understand this too. That when Jesus came, he came to finish this work. He didn't just come to be born of a virgin. He came to die on that cross and to come up out of that grave victorious over death, hell, and the grave to ensure that we all have victory, to make sure that we understand. Now, let me me say this to you, that all of that happened under the context of the old covenant. This new covenant had not yet been enforced because the testator had not died. And yet, here Jesus is, with the dawning of grace showing us what a new covenant reality looks like. But under that, that dispensation of the old covenant, this says he cast out the spirits of the word, 
and he healed all who were sick. Yeah. Now, if they all get to get healed and delivered mm -hmm. under an old covenant, mm -hmm. what do we get under the new covenant? Praise. What do we get? Because according to Hebrews, it says that Jesus now is the mediator of a new covenant, of a better covenant established upon better promises. So if, if they all get the assurance of healing and, and, and freedom, doesn't that stand to reason you and I do too? Just because you don't see it yet doesn't mean it's not true. Just because it hasn't manifested in your life doesn't mean that the promise is no longer applicable to you. You've got to, remember, you've got to be more convinced. And remember, God is not slack. Concerning his promise, he who promises faithful to fulfill what he promised. Abraham finally got it. He finally became convinced. He was fully persuaded that what he promised he was able to perform. That did not happen overnight. Abraham didn't get it for a while. It kind of ticked him off after a while. God said, I'm going to bless you and in you all the nations of the earth. And finally he said, what are you going to give me? I don't have one child. God said, I'm glad you asked. Why don't you come outside? Let me show you something. Since you have got to see it to believe it, Abraham, all right, let, let me get your eyes on something. Look at those stars. That's how many kids you're going to have. Those are your descendants. The sand that's on the seashore, that's your kids. And when Abraham saw that, it says he believed in the Lord and God accounted it to him for righteousness. God said, now we can do something. If you'll believe, we can make things happen. Jesus said all things are possible to him who believes. Listen to me. Those promises are out there and they're eternal, but you're going to have to believe them in order for them to become a reality in your life, right? I mean, is salvation for all? Absolutely. Did Jesus die for everybody? Is everybody going to choose to go to heaven? Well, he's still leaving you the choice. If you want the promise in your life, activated and manifested, you're going to have to walk by faith. You're going to have to get my word in your mouth. God, for 24 years, 24 years, told Abraham, you're blessed, you're blessed. Oh, you're going to have famine. The kings are going to come out of you. 24 years, 24 years, and Abraham doesn't see nothing. All he sees, I'm getting older and older, and time is ticking on me and mama. He's 75 when God's telling him this. 75. When he first starts telling him, now he's 99. Okay, Lord. I don't know if you know how things work here on planet Earth. I'm not getting younger. He just kept saying it. Finally, God said, okay, now, Abraham, I need you to say what I'm saying. So I'm going to change your name. So that way, every time you introduce yourself to somebody, you're saying what I'm saying. So you're no longer called Abram or father. Now you're Abraham, Abraham, which means father of nations. Right. Say it, Abraham. Say it. Abra right. Abraham's Abraham, Abraham, right. father of nations. Father. Hey, I'm Bill. Who are you? I am Abraham. That means father of nations. It really means father of the world. Are you insane? You don't have one kid and you calling yourself the father of the world? Hmm? It's insane, isn't it? It's insane in these terms, in the terms of time, in the terms of reason, human reasoning. But in the realm of faith, it makes perfect sense. 
in the realm of someone who believes God, it makes perfect sense. God said it for 20, think about this, God said it for 24 years. Abraham said it for three months and she conceived. God can say it all he wants, but if you don't get what he says in your mouth, he'll just keep saying it. But when you get it in your mouth and it becomes your reality, my family, that's where the miracles happen. That's where you know. So you're not, then, then you're not looking for his truth. You're not, you're not going to believe it's true through circumstantial evidence. You're going to believe it's true because he said it's true. And however long then it takes to get it, however long it takes for that word to manifest, you're not worried about that because you are like those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. The problem is people just give out too quick. They just, well, I didn't get it three weeks in three weeks' time. I didn't get it immediately, so it must not be the will of... Listen to me. You have to be convinced of His Word like He is. It's outside of time. His promise is true. I'm going to rest in His promise because faith is the substance of those things hoped for. It's the evidence of those things not seen. Do not be ignorant of God's timetable. Because if you'll just believe like this, it can happen any moment, any moment, any moment, any moment. Fully persuaded that he watches over his word to perform it. And the great false prophet, Balaam, said it really quite well. Really quite well when he was hired to curse Israel, but he could only bless them because God apprehended his mouth. And he said, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Has he said it? Shall he not do it? Has he spoken it? And shall he not make it good? Let me remind you. Let me remind you today. Think about those times when God has come through for you. Sometimes we have short memories when it comes to that. Amen. Recall those things and remember, oh, yes, yes, he was there for me here. He provided for me here. He protected me here. He helped me here yeah. again and yeah. again and again and again yeah. and again. Thank you. Because if he's done it before, he has to do it again. Right. If his word has intervened on your behalf before, right. it has to do it again. Are you convinced? Are you persuaded today? Be persuaded. Don't be ignorant of God's timetable. And don't be ignorant of a young creation. Praise God. There's coming a time when he's going to fold all this up. And Jesus Christ is going to come back and establish his reign here on the earth. Thank God. And we look forward to that. But believe the word. Because it's what will elevate your life through and through, time and time again. Father, thank you for this time together with my wonderful family here today. God, thank you that you've brought us here to this place to worship you, to fellowship, and to love one another, God, and to hear your word and believe your word so that we can come up to its level. You said my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Lord, help us to elevate our thinking and elevate our speaking, elevate our life by trusting and believing your word and adhering to it and God to declare it in the earth not only on on our own in our own situations and our families but Lord in the earth the kingdom of God and its edicts in the earth hallelujah so that we can see your word manifested in this earth who is so so desperate moaning and 
groaning for the revealing of the sons of God. Hallelujah. Father, I'm asking you now, thank you for your word that it is true today. Just as true, even if you spoke it thousands of years and years ago, Lord, it's just as true today. It's just as new right now in this moment, just as relevant for our lives. So if you're here today, you need healing in your body, just declare that everlasting word. It's new for you right now. It's just as strong as it ever was. And declare today, I am healed by his stripes. Amen. Amen. Just receive that. Receive his peace. Some of you are here today and you're, you're distraught. You're worried about certain things going on in your life. Just listen. Just welcome his peace right now. Just say, Lord, I receive your peace now. Help me. Thank you right now. You are the Prince of Peace, and I receive your peace. It's real, and it's true for you right now. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for that. Whatever you have need of today, declare his word. Believe his word. I promise you, it will not fail you. His word will not return void. Amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.